The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today we're going to get to talk about Doctor Who psychology. Just a heads up, there might be some minor spoilers of the past seasons and current seasons. Just wanted to let everybody know. Today we have some very special guests joining us for our podcast. I'd like to invite our guests to introduce themselves, starting with you, Alan. Hi, I'm Alan Kistler. I'm a writer. Uh, I wrote Doctor Who A History, which went into the history behind the, the TV show and it's the whole franchise and the concepts and the evolution of that. I uh, got to be in the New York Times bestseller list. And I also uh, am considered a sci-fi comic book historian. And I've written articles for Polygon, Wired's website, MTV.com, a few other places, and a couple of trivia books on superheroes. Very nice. <laughs> How about you, Josue? Hey guys, I'm Josue Cardona. I run geektherapy.com and I work in the mental health field and uh, I do all sorts of stuff. I'm a compulsive uh, podcaster. So when I was invited to do this, I could not say no. <laughs> I love that title, compulsive podcaster. I really hope it says it on your business card. <laughs> it says it all, all, all sorts of places. <laughs> Very nice. As I was saying earlier, today we're going to talk about the longest running sci-fi show ever, uh, Doctor Who. Uh, the show has been around since about November 1963, is that right? Yes. Yep. And it has amassed uh, 13 different regenerations of the Doctor so far. So Alan, you literally wrote the book on this topic. <laughs> Would you mind telling us a little about the origin of the Doctor? Uh, well, basically in 1963, Sidney Newman, who was the new uh, head of BBC Drama, needed a half-hour program to insert in between a sports program and a program that was popular with teenagers. Uh, it would be a program that was, was around tea time, a little early in the evening, just something that kids would watch and enjoy, but that parents and adults wouldn't hate so much that they would change the channel. So they really went for something that we would consider all ages, something that could be enjoyed by everyone. And he put producer uh, Verdi Lambert in charge and the two of them and others came up with what eventually became Doctor Who, the premise of which was this alien traveler, a man who is a, obviously some form of scientist. He later refers to himself as sort of a research scientist and a pioneer on his planet originally. He stole a ship, a time ship, and left his planet for reasons that are not really explained. And initially is traveling with his granddaughter. She left in the second season, but the basic premise remained that he was out here to explore for the sake of exploring, for the sake of uh, seeing the unknown. 
of meeting new people, of encountering new things he hadn't considered, uh, delving into mysteries for their own sake. And we don't know his name. He doesn't really talk about his name. Later episodes indicate his name actually is forbidden because he turned his back on his society. And so we just know him by the label that he chose, uh, a label that he actually did have authority to use back on his planet, evidently, which is the Doctor. The whole show really stems from that premise, and it's gone through various uh, permutations, not just with the actor, but with uh, what the setup is and what he's doing at the time of his life and who he's working with. He constantly picks up different traveling companions uh, to, to hang out with, usually humans, and so we get to see things through their eyes as well. He's even traveled with some other Time Lords, right? Yeah, <laughs> but in the end, it's always this weird alien traveler going around in a not entirely reliable time ship. Like the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah, and, and the whole idea was because of that premise, uh, that was seen as something that you could use for educational and moral value for the kids because you get to talk about history, you get to talk about science, and you get to talk about what is the best course of action in various situations, whether it involves a war or a misunderstanding between people um, or just, you know, uh, finding something different from your experience and, and coming at it from a place of wanting to learn rather than fear. Fear is a superpower. Fear can make you faster and cleverer and stronger. Fear doesn't have to make you cruel or cowardly. Fear can make you kind. Fear makes companions of us all. So, Jose, I know you're a big fan of the show as well. Can you talk about your first experience with, with it and what draws you into watching the show? Yeah, my, my first experience is, I think, a very common one. I, I jumped in at the you know 2005 reboot and I saw the first episode and halfway through it, I was like, nope. I'm not watching this. I don't like this. <laughs> and I think I came back later when uh, Torchwood was out. And I liked uh, people kept saying, you have to watch Torchwood. And I was like, well, if Torchwood is a spinoff of Doctor Who, I can't just watch Torchwood. So then I went back. And after two more attempts, I went through, I, I got through the first um, 2005 episode uh, with uh the you know the new series and once I got past all the mannequins and stuff I I fell in love and <laughs> I I really love the show now it's one of my favorite shows and but it's funny I've talked to a lot of people who who couldn't get past that first episode of the mannequins and it's so funny because now I see it I'm and one I appreciate of them. it I gotta be honest I'm yeah one of them. yeah yeah so I mean it's a really <laughs> common origin story <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was hard, but I mean, you have someone who's a friend like Alan, and then you know, to be honest, he should have wrote the synopsis for it, and I think people, more people, would enjoy it. You know, <laughs> Alan's been our gateway <laughs> into Doctor. So I, I read or I listened to the audiobook of Alan's book, you know, leading up to the 50th anniversary, because I wanted to, you know, get all, all, make sure I had all the history there, make sure I could uh, understand everything. It was a huge help, and now, like, like not only do I buy. Um, and enjoy books about the history of Doctor Who, but I like the big finish audiobooks. I like I've read the comic books. Like I, I love the show. And and this happens to me a lot, but uh, I 
like my fandom is so intense that I watch something the first time and like I am overwhelmed. So I need to watch it a second time to really process it and really understand uh, how much I liked it and how much I loved it. Um, so I usually watch every Doctor Who episode twice. Pretty much like I watch it one day and then I need to watch it the next day again because it's like a, an emotional roller coaster for me. And I think uh, Doctor Who is one of those shows that just does that consistently. And and at least for me, I mean, I love I love science fiction. That is that is probably my, my main draw to the show but I also like relate to the character of the doctor a lot like an absurd amount it's like, it's like a mirror sometimes and and those are just some of the reasons why I like the show well what what do you relate to him the most what qualities um so uh, like like Alan mentioned that that incredible curiosity right um that's that's pretty much been me my whole life if you if you follow my trajectory I'm usually like oh I want to do that oh I want to do this what's this thing and I'm, I'm learning and I'm doing and I'm I'm, I'm constantly following different paths um, that seem that seem interesting, and um, especially the Eleventh Doctor, the the way he was. I, I've talked about this where he's essentially like ADHD. He's like an ADHD superhero. Like uh, I, I I love that. I, I received the diagnosis as an adult, and then watching the show after that happened was like. It really mattered a lot to me. It, it meant a lot to me to to kind of see that played out and see it um, not only in comedic fashion, but also seeing how like those traits were being represented. What I thought was uh, pretty accurately, and then but were also strengths and not weaknesses. And right, and just just a fun show. Oh man, I love I love Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of brings up the whole psychology aspect of it. A number of you have contributed to Doctor Who, a psychology book. Would you be willing to discuss the topics that you covered in the book? Sure. Alan and I wrote a chapter on compassion, on um, the doctor being a compassionate being. And um, on numerous occasions, he's been accused of being weak because he's so compassionate. Um, and actually, time and time and time again, we see how incredibly courageous and strong he is. It is because of him being the doctor, because of his sense of compassion and uh, kindness, that he's able to not only help billions of people out there, but he's also, I think, able to help himself. I think because he has such a strong commitment to helping others, he's able to get through some of the really painful things that he experiences, and it's a mission that allows him to keep going. I think it's what's allowed him to have the longevity that he's had. He was um, His life was supposed to stop after 12 regenerations, and I think that um, it's partially due to his kindness and compassion that he was able to um, expand his lifespan. And he's the most interesting time traveler, you know, in that universe. And everyone knows his name, at the very least, the name that he's chosen for himself. And that name, the doctor, represents that sense of compassion and, and his call to helping others. Follow me. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I'm 903 years old and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? And, and there's also, from the beginning, there's interestingly this idea of he also needs people around 
to keep him compassionate or to remind him to be compassionate uh, if if he's been without people for a while. Because when we first meet him, he's sort of this mischievous, uh, weird, mercurial figure, almost like a, a trickster from myth. And he's very focused on, but this is what I want to do. And, and you know, I, I want to walk into the danger. And he doesn't really care if other people are endangered by it like but but it's a thing i want to explore so i'm going into the danger and it takes uh it's really the second adventure that they ever broadcast which introduced the daleks who became then his arch enemies and consequently our creatures are without mercy and without compassion usually compassion then Strong and fierce in you, like a cancer. I hope so. It will kill you in the end. I wouldn't die of anything else. Encountering them, that's when we see him actually recognize the consequences of his actions, uh, endangering his own granddaughter in the process, and also where we see him start to recognize that these two humans he's picked up, Barbara and Ian, the first human companions, have great resources at their disposal, that they're intelligent, that they are uh, capable of adapting to many situations, and and actually comes to admire them for their compassion, rather than seeing it as sort of like, it, it's nice, but we can't do with that right now. And he then, by the end of that adventure, begins morphing into uh, what we now consider to be the core of the doctor, which is a very compassionate person and someone who tries to be uh, kind and never cowardly. And over the course of the show, like occasionally we've seen that if you he's left alone to his own devices, he can get very lonely, but he can also become a bit cold again. Uh, and in my mind, more like his people that he left behind, the Time Lords, who every time we meet them, they, they often tend to be very cold, uh, big picture kind of people. And, uh, you know, they're sort of doing the math, what's the greater good, and not really considering the damage it might do to an individual or that individual's feelings, um, stuff like that. And, uh, and the new show, the modern show, which began in 2005 and decided to be a continuation rather than a reboot of the, of the original show. When we met the Ninth Doctor, he's very sort of damaged by his experiences uh, the idea was to get, set up this new era that he was no longer a renegade time lord traveling on his own but occasionally encountering his people he was now the last time lord and so the idea was that essentially the day before the new show premiered he had just ended a war and seen his people apparently all die and he goes back to being this acerbic uh, guy who he's still motivated to help people but he also really can't deal with if he's rude to you in the process uh, or you know if your feelings get hurt or you know if your boyfriend dies because he just didn't get there in time that sucks but okay like deal with it and move on we yeah. have to stop that we have to stop the bad thing it's kind of like and, replacements in in the war you know you don't want to get too close to him you think that's what it was about yeah, it's 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 a certain thing. He'd been fighting the war for so long, like that's an attitude he had to adopt. 
and and also as as the mythology is later explained he had sort of had to stop being the doctor for a while and so part of that the the ninth incarnation who begins the new show is the doctor also relearning how to be the doctor and in meeting this young shop woman uh rose he starts understanding compassion again and russell t davis who was the first showrunner of the new show and who brought him back and had the idea of bringing the doctor back first as this traumatized war survivor like set up and indicated in the sixth episode of that season when he encounters a dalek daleks being the other side of that war and initially just wants vengeance and at the end of it has to consider what he's becoming if vengeance is truly that important to him and and also finally has to process something where you know at, at a certain point he he looks up at rose and just says they're all dead and you sort of get the idea of like he hasn't actually said that out loud in that way or fully acknowledged it to himself until that time and russell t davis set it up and you can see it that at, at that moment especially and afterwards he is really getting back to the core of who he is and becoming more compassionate again. And by the end of his run, uh, before he regenerates into the next Doctor, that ninth Doctor is a different person and would not make some of the cold, calculating decisions he did in the first few episodes that we saw him in. Right. I mean, you both are talking about Doctor Who's core value being compassion. It appears to me that the Doctor has had numerous opportunities to stop caring and turn off his emotions. Um, there have been countless times where he has been hurt because of how much he cares for others and how much empathy he you know, displays. Uh, would it ever be more beneficial for the Doctor to stop helping others, or is there a value of what he's doing? I think that he is the Doctor. That is now his name. He is somebody that helps people, that saves people. And if he's not compassionate and caring, then I think he has nothing. I think that if when he helps people, even if he gets hurt, I think in a lot of ways it's worth it to him. I think that his compassion is his greatest superpower. I think that... Um, like when he's mourning, for example, like when he was mourning over the loss of his two companions, Amy and Rory, and he went, I think, over 100 years without connecting with anybody, without helping anybody, he was actually struggling more. Whereas when he's able to help other people, even if he gets hurt, there is some healing aspect to him. And I think if he was ever to lose his sense of empathy, he would lose himself completely. He wouldn't be the doctor anymore, and I think he wouldn't be happy anymore. Things end. That's all. Everything ends. That is always sad. But everything begins again, too. And that's always happy. I think he enjoys uh, what he does also. I, to a degree, I don't think he's always looking for these opportunities to help people. He's just always looking for an adventure. And sometimes that comes up and he could walk away. And there have been very few times when he said, you know, like, I'm just going to walk away. Usually he just, he goes straight for it and he's going to help and he, he enjoys it. He likes it. It's definitely a part of him. And he is who he is because of what he does. I don't, I couldn't see him ever 
even even in his darkest moments right he um because it hurts right but it's 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 like hurting isn't necessarily um like you can hurt because you miss somebody or you can hurt because you're sad and that's very different than having been negatively affected right i don't think that any of those experiences negatively affected him um there's there's a cost sometimes you know and and i think he we we've, we've seen it over and over again right he understands that he's he's going to outlive everybody and especially now that he has this new lease on life right he thought it was almost over and when it wasn't he was pretty happy about it and he's got this whole new outlook on life and i don't think he's he's going to do anything different i don't think he would ever see it as advantageous or beneficial to stop the fact that he's he's running i mean it it's not unhealthy to take a break when things are really tough and take your breath recharge your energy and then come back when you're ready and maybe for someone who lives thousands of years right that break can be a little longer like you can take a 100 year break before you come in and face it and maybe you know if it, that's kind of the equivalent of uh, you know taking a week off and and processing some things and then starting to get help and and starting to get back into the swing of things I mean, again, if, if you want to play it like the big picture of what's the greater good for, you know, if the goal is I must protect the universe or I must protect this planet, pragmatically, it you one could argue, okay, then it would be easier if you didn't care for this one person who has to be sacrificed. Or, you know, if, if you didn't let yourself get bogged down too much because this town will be destroyed but you've saved the planet or you've saved the solar system, good on you. Like, it, you play it as a numbers game, yeah, then it, it would probably be easier to make certain decisions or you would make the decisions faster, whatever. But part of the idea of Doctor Who is it's not about what's easy. You know, what's, what's easy is not necessarily what's right. And what's right is not always easy. And it's not perfect, but it's right. And and you have to you have to go for that and and again like I said that that's something that's been a repeated idea through the different incarnations and and the new show has been very uh, strong about if the doctor is left alone that's not good for anyone he needs someone to remind him of that to keep his perspective he needs someone who does not have a lifespan as long as he does who won't uh, get detached because they perceive things with his higher brain power and stuff who, who basically helps remember helps him remember to stay grounded. And, uh, when the doctor regenerates into, uh, the 12th doctor, uh, played by Peter Capaldi, he has this great, uh, moment in his first episode where he talks about, uh, how he doesn't like views from high places. When you look over at, over a city, from say a high place such as London and you look down and it's like no now everyone's too small like he he needs to be down there with the people he needs to remember that they're around and that you know they're as big as he is or bigger that that they're giants walking around and not dismiss them by looking at things from from a high tower uh, which is sort of metaphorically what his planet Gallifrey did they they very much looked down on the universe they're, they they refer to other people as part of the lower races or the inferior races, not in a, in a way of like we have to take them out because we're Nazis, but just they're not as sophisticated as we are. And they even called 
their main base of power, the Panopticon, which which is a great metaphor for how they they looked at things. Uh, so yeah, the Doctor is as as smart as he is and as calculating as he is is someone who tries very hard in his various in, incarnations to remember not to lose perspective of the common people and just anyone who will be hurt by it. Oh, there it is. Silly old universe. The more I save it, the more it needs saving. The treadmill. Never be cruel, never be cowardly. And never ever eat pears. Remember, hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. Oh, and you mustn't tell anyone your name. No one would understand it anyway. Laugh hard. Run fast. And I think that it also helps him. It seems like when he's left alone for too long, as you were saying, Alan, I think it's not only that he forgets. I think he also hurts more. I think Mm -hmm. he has more time to hurt, to reflect on, um, on everything he's lost. And I think he gets lost in his meaning then. But when he's able to be connected to somebody, when he's able to experience compassion, love, and connection, I think that it's the antidote to his suffering. I think he himself finds healing in these kind of relationships and um, and emotions. And I think that's something that many other Gallifreyans simply don't understand. And I think that's something he sometimes tries to explain to them about why human race is important and why um, it's important to care. And even even like at the end of um, the 12th Doctor's life, you know, with a lot of people having left him or hurt him, um, he's clearly suffering. That being said, I think if he turned off his caring like if he somehow closed off his both of his hearts i think that he would have been hurting more than when he allows himself to care and connect and this this was actually recently explored in the audio play series uh the war master which follows one of the doctor's enemies the master like him a renegade time lord during the great uh the third and last great time war, which is the event that wiped out Gallifrey and, and the people of it, apparently. And the master in that, uh, throughout, throughout the master's career, we've seen he's a very calculating, cruel villain. Um, one who occasionally delights in cruelty because he'll find something funny about it. Uh, or he just likes feeling superior. On occasion throughout the original show they did have to team up for this reason or another and you would see these flashes of but there are things that he considers to go too far um, you know he didn't want the entire universe destroyed for instance and you could argue like well of course because then there's nothing to rule uh, but then there, there's one adventure the five doctors where you know we've talked about regeneration and, and the fact that the doctor literally physically transforms 
every now and then so that you can renew the show by giving it a different actor and a different atmosphere. But also, in the universe, it's helping the Doctor not get too stale and not get too set in his ways. He gets to change his his appearance and a little bit of his brain chemistry and thus his point of view a little bit every now and then when he has to avoid death and rebuild himself from scratch. And in The Five Doctors, they they took advantage of this yet again as they had done in the previous uh, anniversary special, The Three Doctors, by having different doctors meet because it's time travel and you can meet your younger selves. And in that, there is a danger of the Doctor being removed from history uh, in this special The Five Doctors, and the Master is recruited to, to help this out. And at first he's sort of saying, you know, I don't, I don't care about what you think, and, and this reduced prison sentence you've offered me, well, what makes you think I want forgiveness? And then they basically tell him the stakes of the Doctor could be removed from history. And he has a reaction. He is he's really taken aback by this and remarks that a universe without the Doctor is, is scarcely worth thinking about. And and you can argue, what, why is he having that reaction? Is it because they used to be friends? So the memory, you know, is, is there? Does he hope that they can still be friends? Does he recognize that the Doctor actually does a good he respects and can appreciate? And, and as I said, in this audio play recently, the War Master miniseries, there is a part where for a while, for a number of years, actually, the Master is forced to stay in one place and basically decides to make himself useful and so becomes uh, a physician of sorts at this at this facility uh, for people who are caught up in uh, the Great War and other conflicts. And he's initially there just to bide his time. So fine, I'll, I'll work in this hospital of sorts until I have to leave because, you know, where else am I going to go? But it's pointed out in the adventure, even if he doesn't want to acknowledge it to himself, he is acting very good as a physician and he is taking interest in others. And it's like, all he needed to do was be put in that position to encounter people on a regular basis. And, and all he had to do was to be put in a position where he saw the effects of helping people as well as other people harming them to start gaining that perspective. Mm. And, you know, it might be a perspective he doesn't particularly want because again, but it makes his life harder. It's harder to have compassion yeah. uh, and, and to have to consider the consequences of your action. But you saw all he needed was this ex- exposure to start opening that up and, and possibly leave a seed that could be exploited later uh, to start uh, uh, a walk towards redemption. He's the one who broke the promise. What I did, I did without choice. The moment is coming. Every moment in time and space is burning. It must end. How many children on Gallifrey right now? 2.47 billion. All those years burying you in my memory, pretending you didn't exist secret even from myself pretending you weren't the doctor when you were the doctor more than anybody else you were the doctor on the day it wasn't possible to get it right never give up never give in today this war will end the moment has come great men are forged in fire it is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame I fought in a bigger war than you will ever 
best things that you could ever imagine. And when I close my eyes, he's a war hero. No more. I hear more screams than anyone could ever be able to count. No more. I mean, it was interesting what you were saying earlier about his representation and his appearance, um, especially now. Um, after you know 54 years the doctor has finally regenerated into a woman and i'm I'm curious to see to hear how significant um this change and how i mean you see this version being embraced by hubians now every incarnation of the doctor when it's announced uh you have people who the initial reaction no matter what is but i like this doctor so nah mm-hmm. and you know, you're always going to deal with that. You're always going to deal with people who are convinced that this next incarnation, what they see, what they hear, will not work, and they're just going to leave the show now, thank you very much, or they're going to leave the show for now until the Doctor becomes something that they particularly like. I mean, that's part of the, the great thing about the regeneration idea, that we gave this alien a power to change now and then, is not only does it keep the show fresh, but it means that you can invite a new audience in who maybe wasn't digging the previous incarnation or incarnations for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you put it in a, in a package of like, oh, I rather like this one. Um, and they can check it out for a while. Uh, some people will come around. Some people are always open to coming around like, okay, that was my favorite doctor, but you know they're gone. I'm willing to see how fun the new person is. Or, you know, they might have already made peace with the fact that their favorite doctor was two or three doctors ago. And, you know, that's still their favorite, but they're willing to see what the next version brings to the table and just appreciate it for what it is. In this case, there has definitely been more pushback uh, because it's a woman. And because uh, some people had a real big problem with that, uh, some people have been having this idea that women are increasingly invading spaces that not only were traditionally occupied by men but should be occupied by men as if that's some inherent quality that can't be undone or or altered and that's a shame uh, especially when part of the idea of Doctor Who is being open and welcoming to other perspectives to other people to to people who maybe you don't relate to them but that doesn't mean they don't have value and you know to miss that message and and instead go but a woman can't be doctor who is is rather absurd and and sad and right. further and furthermore the creator uh sydney newman suggested that the doctor regenerate into a woman for the 1987 season uh and thought it would be a really great idea especially if the doctor really didn't understand why certain people were treating uh, her differently now. And that then means that we are 30 years overdue for, for this idea. So, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, we've seen, like, Master regenerating into Missy. We know that it seems to be that Time Lords can be gender fluid, right, in in their regenerations. And we also saw in the classic Doctor Who some really incredible Time Lords, like, Ramada, right? Um, she is one of my favorite companions, um, especially Ramada too. And I thought that her character was incredibly strong. 
And I love the idea of the doctor being able to come back as any gender, any race, any sexuality, um, and maybe even at some point not even human looking. Um, but, you know, I guess to some degree we might need some humanity um, so that we can connect with that character. But I'm really happy to see the new doctor being a woman and I'm hoping even that, that even the people who sort of gave up on the show as a result will ultimately come around and, and continue watching the show and, and grow to love this depiction. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, there's a lot of strong women in Doctor Who and it was already established with Missy and, you know, now that she now that the Doctor is regenerated into a woman, I don't really see the big pushback. Well, the, the premise of regeneration is the Doctor changing. And there's no reason to believe uh, why that change should be limited, really, particularly in a show where time and space are your playground Mm -hmm. and where, on a regular basis, things that even have rules keep finding exceptions to the rules. And like any good science fiction uh, franchise, the show doesn't have any problem with making exceptions to the rules, just as long as you acknowledge that this is an exception. The doctor will say, yes, we can't visit parallel universes anymore, and then a few episodes later, someone shows up from parallel universe, but but that's impossible. It's like, ah, but we have this device with this yellow button, and this allows us. Like, oh, well, that's very dangerous. Like, yes, but it means that for this episode, we will be having people from parallel universes. And you just acknowledge that, like, ah, okay. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it's so easy just to do that. Um, and also... Like part of part of how the show occasionally regenerates itself is to throw the doctor into a new situation that that the doctor has not encountered before. So the first six seasons, the first two doctors were a fugitive from the Time Lords and were in a TARDIS that you could not control whatsoever. It was going to go where it wanted to go. You had no say in in that. You couldn't make a return trip later. You couldn't say, well, I want to stay here, but just go 10 minutes into the future or half an hour into the past. Like, no, the TARDIS was going to go somewhere, and it was going to determine that. And with season seven of the the original show, that changed. The Doctor was stranded on Earth for a couple of years and only had one or two adventures into another time or place the whole season and otherwise was working with a, a military outfit called Unit. And come the 10th anniversary adventure that changed again the doctor regained his freedom uh and now was no longer a fugitive or or an exile by his people but was this this tolerated renegade of okay you can go wherever you want but on occasion we're going to grab you for a mission and you know in, in fourth doctor because the third doctor had been exiled on earth for so long Fourth Doctor was pure wanderlust and and just this bohemian madman. And we didn't have uh, a lot of adventures on Earth during his run. We had a lot more alien mythology in there and and a whole adventure on his planet Gallifrey and all this jazz. And sure enough, like, you know, fast forward to the Seventh Doctor, the Seventh Doctor suddenly is very proactive. He's not exploring just for the sake of exploring. He actually has these master schemes and manipulations he's setting up. He is actively hunting evil at times. And that was a different take on the Doctor. And again, as, we, as we've as we talked about before, 
when the show came back in 2005 after being off the air for uh, 16 years, uh, with the exception of a TV movie in between, the new premise was there has been a war now, and it just ended, and the new Doctor, the ninth Doctor, uh, is now the sole survivor. And so that's a drastic change in the premise and, and invites new difficulty into his life because, hey, if if you screw up, you can't call on the Time Lords to help things. This is it. Uh, so, yeah, it's just part of the show that you you shift things for the Doctor and alter their life a little bit. Uh, so now the alteration is the Doctor is now a woman, and immediately that brings a lot of dramatic, interesting dramatic tension because it does mean that in today's society, and certainly many societies of Earth's past that the Doctor will visit, there will be people who will immediately question the doctor's authority in ways that they would not have otherwise right. simply yeah. because the words coming out of that mouth it is our words coming out of the mouth of a woman and and so immediately what the doctor says like well that can't be right what would she know and that's going to be a new difficulty the doctor has to face uh which is going to be very topical and also just dramatically very interesting even if sexism was a thing of the past it would be interesting just for the historical adventures so that brings me to a, a question for Josue and Janina uh, how important do you think the role of diversity and representation is within the world of you know popular television shows you know to, to, to comment on some of the things that, that Alan said like uh, the the female doctor having a harder time throughout throughout her time travel th- the show does this thing where you travel back in time, and it doesn't matter where you are, there are always people of different races represented. And they all have British accents. I mean, that, that's explained, that, that can be explained through, <laughs> through the TARDIS. But the fact that there are different races represented is interesting. And we've had uh, Martha and Bill, right, who were black, and you see them in these times when they wouldn't be accepted. And they kind of play with that, but at the same time, you have many characters, again, from, from different races. So the way that Doctor Who has addressed that in a way is, and I don't know if you guys agree, but it's kind of like... They're, they're uh, repainting these historical times, right, to make them more current or to seem, them, to seem more current. And they've kind of bypassed a lot of the, the problems. So it's going to be interesting to see, to see how that plays out. And especially on Earth, right? Because once they go to different planets, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, and, and as far as the, the character, like, I'm super, I, I was super excited with zero rev- reservations about um, 13 until I started thinking about Thor Ragnarok after I saw it. Stay with me. So I saw Thor and I kept thinking, wow, why is, why is Thor such a different character? Like he's, he's very, very different from, from before. And he's like a comedian now and he's all funny and he seems happier. And, and then I thought about all of the experiences he had had and like they don't match up with like who he is now, and throughout the the, the Ragnarok, like, he just goes through so many horrible things, and at the end he doesn't seem that phased by it. So so I've been thinking a lot about that movie, like how how that kind of bothered me, and I I think I feel at least from two thousand five on, um, every Doctor like I felt that they were the Doctor, even if at first it's a little jarring. They they're things that are like core to the character of the Doctor, and. As long as they don't change any of those things, as long as thirteen still feels like the doctor, she could be different, right? Like like Alan explained, like they, they always make the character their own. But as long as it's still the doctor, 
I'm going to be okay with it. And and I like that in recent years, you see the effect, like the time war had such an effect on nine, right? And then 10 and 11, like you see, you see the effect that war had. And then 12 is like a reaction to 10 and 11's youth. And then all these things, like they feed off of each other. And you have this angry 12, but 12 is, is like, he reminds you of one and of some of the others in different moments. So there's still, it's still that character. So as long as she's still the doctor and there is some, at least for me, like I care about there being weight to any changes that do come and that we, we recognize what happened before. I'm, I'm okay. I am, I'm fine as long as they don't mess with that. Alan, I love that example that we have certain expectations of how the doctor, um, is or should be and and Josue, I love that you talked about um, the desire to see a character that embodies all the previous experiences, right? Like that character needs to be psychologically consistent. And for me personally, getting back to this idea of diversity and representation, um, I want to see a woman doctor, you know, my favorite doctor so far to date um, is Ten and David Tennant's portrayal, and it's because I see myself in him. He is compassionate and silly, and at the same time, he gets um, extremely overwhelmed when he can't help somebody, and he becomes um, empathically distressed at seeing the suffering of others. And in seeing myself represented in this way, really meant a lot to me, and and. I felt like the 10th Doctor really spoke to me. And I'm hoping that um, Jodie Whittaker's character will too. I am extremely excited to see a woman playing a lead character in a science fiction television show, um, especially one of you know this much history and this much depth. Um, and I think that there's a lot of power of seeing ourselves represented in uh, positive and powerful characters of fandoms that we admire because not only does it show us that who we are is okay, but it also can teach us ways to cope with some of the things that we might experience. Um, like in following the 10th Doctor's journey, I learned how to cope with empathic distress, you know, by by continuing to connect with others, by doing what you can, uh, by still uh, being vulnerable and open, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. That is the most important time. And I think that in seeing ourselves represented on television in this way really teaches us a lot about who we are and who we want to become. So I am thrilled to have the 13th Doctor be portrayed by her, and I can't wait to see what the new season has in store for us. Well, I mean, we are talking about a, a vast, unlimited universe, so diversity is very important no matter what we're, we're speaking about. And I, I have another question that just came up while you guys were talking, <laughs> and it's about the monsters and the species that are all involved in this show, like, you know, Weeping Angels and stuff like that. And just speaking about the psychology involved in them is there do you think there's some you know psychological um symbolism behind the weeping angel i mean something that you know only can come at you when you're you're turned away from it and will transport you back in time or something i mean it's it's a very interesting character well to me i can see it as almost like a metaphor for trauma for example right because if you don't address it, if you turn away from it, if you hide from it, then you're still living in it. It can almost transport you back in time to where the trauma happened, right? As opposed to when you turn around and when you face it, 
then it's less likely to attack you. Um, and the more you can face it, and the more friends you can get to help you face it, the less likely the angels are to, um, you know, to attack you, to get closer to you, to, to hurt you in some kind of way. And so between the weeping angels and then also um, the monsters under the bed, like from the episode Listen with the 12th Doctor, um, you know, once again, I think the more we ignore things, the... Um, the stronger and the scarier they become. But if we face them, then they become a lot more manageable. In that same episode, listen, the 12th doctor um, tells a little boy who's scared of the monsters under the bed that his fear is actually his superpower. The fear is the very thing that makes him stronger and better, that sends adrenaline to his body, that makes his um, pupils dilate, makes it easier for him to see, makes it easier for him to take big breaths. And it's his superpower in the moment of um, his greatest fear is actually his greatest strength. I can feel through your hands. There's so much blood and oxygen pumping through your brain. It's like rocket fuel. Right now, you could run faster and you could fight harder. You could jump higher than ever in your life. And you are so alert. It's like you can slow down time. What's wrong with scared? Scared is a superpower. It's your superpower. There is danger in this room. And guess what? It's you. And I thought that was such a powerful statement that the doctor made. And it was the very thing that the boy needed to hear, that fear is not something to run away from. Fear is adaptive. And uh, what a powerful lesson to teach a little kid and also for the doctor to, I guess, learn himself about his own fears that he had since he was little. Very powerful metaphors here. Josue, do you have a a, a favorite um, monster or species or anything you would like? Yeah, my, my favorite stories are the ones like like the Vashon Narada, like the like the uh, um, the monster in uh, Vincent and the Doctor, where they're really just other beings that see the world differently and live differently, and they're just doing what they do, right? The Vashon Narada are just like they live in in trees, right? What I think is is what it says in the episode, and they found a forest, and the alien in uh, Vincent and the Doctor, he's uh, blind and lost and abandoned and there's a misunderstanding and people think that you know th- are their actions are interpreted as bad and they are an adversary but they aren't necessarily doing something bad they aren't evil they're just living their lives and kind of that clash and seeing uh, other people from a completely different lens and trying to understand people and, and seeing the doctor trying to uh, like Bring understanding to different groups of people. Those are those are the stories that I think are my are my favorites. Yeah, or sometimes you know, there's just these creepy little monsters, like little kids with gas masks that say, "Are you my mommy?" What what are they? I can't remember. I only seen that episode one time, but it's pretty creepy. Yeah, the empty child. <laughs> mommy, please let me in, mommy. Please let me in. Hey, Alan. Can you briefly summarize the newest episode for us and tell us what you thought about it? The last season of Doctor Who, I really enjoyed. And I felt like uh, it was a great send-off for Peter Capaldi. Um, It felt like they finally were writing really up to the level of what he could do. In a way, it felt like we finally met his Doctor, uh, the 12th Doctor, uh, who's just this wonderful, in that second year but also especially that third year he he sort of crystallized into this 
alien version of Doc Brown from Back to the Future, and and it was just this wonderful uh, rock and roll slash university professor uh, mischievous adventurer, and and someone who reminds you very much that this is both an ancient presence, someone who's thousands of years old, but who refuses to grow up. And I really enjoyed that last year. I really enjoyed uh, the last episode he had of the regular season and thought it was a brilliant uh, goodbye to him in many ways. And they ended it on the cliffhanger of he was starting to regenerate and was holding it back, which is something the doctor has done a couple times before where for, for different reasons he needed to hold back his regeneration or wasn't in the mood to do it just quite yet. And here he was holding back and wondering if maybe this time I'm just, I'm done. Like I've, I've already lived one life longer than I was supposed to. There's supposed to be a limit on regenerations, but events have now led me to have God knows how many regenerations and maybe I don't want that unknown quality going on. Maybe maybe I'm just freaking tired of changing again and again and again. And I just I could end on a good note here. And in the course of it, the cliffhanger ends with him landing next to the first doctor who's about to regenerate for the first time. Uh, played by David Bradley, who you know, people know him from Harry Potter and Broadchurch and uh, other things, but he also played William Hartnell, the actor who played the first Doctor, in a biopic about how Doctor Who began in the 60s. So it was wonderful to bring him back. He's also now doing audio plays as the first Doctor. And so that led into the Christmas special, uh, Twice Upon a Time, where the premise was, like, here's the 12th Doctor thinking, well, I want to regenerate. Meeting up with his first incarnation who has fear of maybe I don't want to regenerate. I've never done this before. This seems like a bad idea. And, and having them sort of deal with each other facing that during this, this weird adventure they have. And it's a great idea. I, I don't think they really delivered on it. Um, there's, there's not a strong through line or theme in the Christmas adventure that they had most recently. Um, they sort of forget that you know one of the things you want to do with a team up is provide an adventure where everyone has something to contribute. Uh, in the same way, if you know if you have Batman Superman team up, you want the nature of the adventure to be something where at one point one of them does something that the other maybe wouldn't have or wouldn't have done it as easily or wouldn't have thought to do that. But thank goodness the other person was here because now we did that thing. And look how cool that was. And they don't really do that in this Christmas adventure. Um, they have a couple of good moments. They have a couple of good dialogue bits between them. But the the adventure itself rather falls short and you know adds a little bit for Capaldi, but not a lot for the for David Bradley's the first doctor. They also weirdly uh made the first trying to contrast the two they made the first doctor very sexist at times um and tried to play it as that like well he's an old man and he's from the 60s kind of way it's like well that mm -hmm. doesn't really work in the universe because the first doctor was still several hundred years old and had been to earth of the future and you know 
uh, from an, a different society. And like one or two things reflecting that he was written by by internalized sexism of the 60s, sure. But he was like overtly sexist in ways that didn't re- make sense to me with how the first Doctor was in his original adventures. And it seemed like they were trying to really force in some jokes uh, rather than... And, and maybe also uh, Stephen Moffat, the, the showrunner of the past few years, who's been hit with various... Um, accusations of having uh, sexism uh, and while it might not be intentional like unintentional sexism is still sexism it felt like he was almost trying to counteract that by showing well no like compared to you know the first doctor was sexist but the doctor I've written is so not sexist and look how he's so embarrassed about these sexist remarks and stuff like that it, it felt really forced and unnecessary I wish they had had an adventure that celebrated both doctors and would have just enjoyed playing with their differences in much the same way that the anniversary special of a few years ago uh, teaming up the 10th and 11th Doctor really was there to celebrate both Doctors and and to enjoy the differences between them rather than try to imply one is clearly superior to the other mm-hmm. so yeah it, it felt short to me It the ending scene when Capaldi finally accepts that he will regenerate and essentially says goodbye to both his current form and the audience. Uh, I did think that was quite beautiful, and and I love the first moments of seeing Jodie Whittaker become the thirteenth Doctor, and the thirteenth Doctor seeing her reflection, and truly being shocked by it, and then just smiling and saying, "Oh, brilliant!" <laughs> like that was that was great, and and. Uh, yeah, the, so the the last like five minutes I thought were absolutely lovely. This is definitely a universe that we can talk a lot about, and I would actually like to ha- you know have you guys back on sometime, and we can revisit some more um, Doctor Who. Unfortunately, we're running out of time here, and um, I would just like to uh, ask you guys, um, starting with you, Josue, uh, can you tell the audience where they can find you online? Yeah, go to geektherapy.com where we celebrate geek culture and mental health. We've got a whole bunch of podcasts. Great stuff over there. Uh, that's geektherapy.com, at geektherapy on Twitter, or you can find me at Josue A. Cardona on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter often at Sizzler Kistler, S-I-Z-Z-L-E-R-K-I-S-T-L-E-R. You can find archives of my work and notifications of any signings I'm doing at alankistler.com A-L-A-N-K-I-S-T-L-E-R.com and you can find uh, Doctor Who History and uh, my unofficial Batman Trivia Challenge and unofficial Spider-Man Trivia Challenge on Amazon or Barnes & Noble uh, feel free to ask your own bookseller to, to pick them up if you want a copy physically you know so yeah well, thank you guys so much for being a guest on our show today. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. Uh, you can find me at The Valiant Geek on Twitter. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me under Superhero Therapy pretty much on all social media. And my website is superhero-therapy.com. 